we're going to begin a study on God's Christmas gift. And folks, the first part of this is about the Savior who came from heaven to earth. And let me let you look at on the overhead this verse, John 1.14. And I'm going to be reading this out of the Good News Bible. Now, again, you've heard this before, but I want to again just kind of set this up. The Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John later than any of the Gospels. It's thought that perhaps as many as 60 or more years after Jesus was crucified and ascended into heaven, at a time in which people began to doubt again that Jesus was the Son of God, and there were many false teachers who were saying that Jesus was just another man. He was not the Son of God. John writes these words to remind the world of who this man Jesus of Nazareth was. He does not give the story of the birth of Jesus as Matthew and Luke does, but he simply begins with the thought that Jesus was with the Father before creation. And listen to what John 1.14 says, The Word became a human being and full of grace and truth lived among us. We saw his glory, the glory which he received as a father's only son. I hate to admit this to you, but during the time that I've been a preacher and been responsible for preparing messages, I've inwardly dreaded preaching at Christmas. And let me tell you why. How can you tell the same story over and over again and keep it interesting every time and really get people involved in it and get something new out of it? And this past week, as I was praying and asking God to give me the right messages for Christmas, God convicted me that I need just to tell the story again. And as I tell myself and read from the Scripture, and that's what I've encouraged you to do, God will speak to our hearts. And folks, let me just say some preliminary thing, things about, about the Christmas story. Who is running the computer back there. D, I mean, who is that? Is that D back there? Okay. All right. D, if you'll go to the next overhead. I couldn't see your head and Steve slipped out and I thought, man, <laughs> let me tell you what the Christmas story is. You already know this, but let me again share this with you. First of all, the Christmas story is Jesus's story. It is the story that he is the son of God and the savior of the world. The Christmas story is the greatest story of history, whether it's past history present history, or future history, and we'll look at that in just a moment. The Christmas story also, if you'll go to the next one, is a story that changes hearts and lives eternally. Christmas is the story of the greatest gift of all, the greatest gift ever given. And the Christmas story has truly a divine purpose. Now, let me just kind of speak for just a minute on those things that I've just said. Again, the Christmas story is Jesus' story. And folks, if you and I go through Christmas and miss the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to be the Savior of the world, we're going to miss the most important part of Christmas. And folks, the Christmas story is the greatest story of history. Think about this for just a second. The past, before Jesus came to earth, pointed to Christmas. And folks, again, I don't fully understand all the prophecies of the Old Testament, but ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God had promised a Savior would come. 
Adam and Eve surely didn't understand at that moment what God was saying. But in Genesis 3.15, God promises that someone will come and destroy the work of Satan and of sin. And as you and I begin to read the gospel records, Jesus' coming is the fulfillment of Scripture and promises and covenants that God had made with mankind. If you read the birth stories in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is the descendant of Abraham and David. And again, that might seem very unimportant, but folks, it is so important. Abraham goes all the way back to the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. God began to make plans through Abraham's family. God begins to make promises to Abraham. Listen, through your seed, you'll bless all the people of the earth. Through your seed, a redeemer will come. Then God begins to promise David, King David, later on in the history of Israel, that someone will will sit upon his throne forever. Someone of his family will sit upon the throne forever and ever. And folks, all these things are mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 verse 38. Jesus is described as a descendant of Adam, the first man. And Luke is trying to tell us that Jesus came to be the Savior of all mankind. And in that verse, Luke 3.38, he not only says that Jesus is the descendant of Adam, but he is also the Son of God. Folks, think about Isaiah 7.14. And if you'll put that, D, thank you. And that's going to be our verse of the month for December. And you've heard this so many times, but listen, hundreds of years before Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, listen to the word that God gives to Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin, a virgin. Is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ important? Yes, it is, because God said this is the way that it would happen. This is the way that it has happened. And we're living in a world that seems to doubt this. But God did this to show us who this baby was. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. As you and I prepare for Christmas and we read the, the story of the angels coming to not only to Joseph but also to Mary, this is what is going to happen. She is a virgin. She is betrothed to Joseph. You know all this story, but isn't it exciting to hear it again and tell it again? Folks, listen, God had his hand in all of this hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And folks, let me tell you something. When you read the Gospel of John, and we're going to get there in just a few minutes, I hope, it was planned out in eternity before the worlds were ever created. God knew that man would, would decide that he wanted to sin and rebel against God. And because God would love his creation so much, he would provide a savior. The story of Christmas is not some type of historical accident. It is divinely planned and promised in the past. And folks, the Christmas story also is a story of the present. Folks, everything that happens on a day-to-day -day basis, points back to Christmas. How did we get our calendar? Folks, our 
understanding of history points back to the coming of Jesus to the earth. His coming changed all human history. And regardless of whether or not mankind wants to acknowledge it or not, the birth and coming of Jesus to the earth was one of the greatest moments of history because God himself stepped out of heaven and came down to earth. Folks, this is one of the most exciting stories. And folks, listen, the future... The future is going to be determined by this baby that was born in Bethlehem. Jesus coming again will be the climax of the Christmas story. And folks, think about it. Just as the angels and the others celebrated Jesus' birth, they alone with all Christians will celebrate his return and the rapture of the church and his eternal kingdom. So folks... The story of Christmas is a story that has changed all history, and all history is his story. And Christmas also is a story that changes all of our hearts. Think again about John 3.17. I hope you don't get tired of hearing John 3.16 and John 3.17. Look at John 3.17. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Folks, through the story of Christmas, our lives, our hearts can be eternally changed. That was the message and the purpose of the coming of Jesus. And folks, the Christmas story is the story of the greatest gift of all, the greatest gift that has ever been given. Look again at John 3.16. And there's a typo on this. It's not John 3.15, John 3.16. That's my fault, okay? For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave. The Lord Jesus Christ is God's gift to not only me and you, but to the entire world. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And folks, there is a verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. And you might want to make a note of this verse. It actually comes when Paul is talking about stewardship. But Jesus is God's gift to us. And I want to read this verse, this same verse, out of three different translations. Listen to this. In the King James, again, this is 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Have you ever had something to happen to you that was so wonderful that you could not even put it into words? Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever gotten so excited about something as you tried to tell it that you, and, and I'm not making fun of anyone who, who, who stutters. Uh, folks, have you ever got so excited about telling something that happened to you, it just, you just couldn't find the words? This is how Paul is saying that the gift of Jesus Christ should be seen by the world. So let me read these other two translations. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be, I love this, this is a living Bible. Thank God for his son, his gift, too wonderful for words. Folks, let me tell you something. If gazillions of angels in heaven cannot sing his praise enough, how can you and I in a lifetime give him enough honor and glory and praise for what he has done for us? Can you see what Paul is saying about the coming of Jesus Christ? It is the greatest gift of all, the greatest gift that's ever been given. And the Christmas story has a divine purpose. Folks, listen. 
Look at Romans 5, 8. Again, we read this verse so often, Romans 5, 8. But I love this verse. Let me ask you something. Do you want proof that Jesus Christ loves you? Well, here it is. Listen to this verse. But God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The Christmas story is the proof to the world that God loves us. Folks, this baby born in a manger came to be our Savior. He came to change hearts and lives and change the world. And the only hope for change in my life, in your life, and in this world is through this baby who is the Son of God. And folks, listen to what John says toward the end of his gospel in John chapter 20, verse 31. And folks, I want to tell you why in this countdown to Christmas, I want you to read, I want to encourage you to read the entire gospel of John. Folks, this gospel just sums up what Jesus did for us. And listen to what John says his purpose was in, in, in writing the gospel. And to me, this is the purpose of the Christmas story and the coming of Christ. Listen to what he says. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Folks, this is the purpose of the Christmas story. It is that you and I would understand that Jesus was and is the Christ. He was and is the Son of God. And when we believe in him, we can have life in his name. And so, folks, in the coming Sundays, in preparation for Christmas, we will see that Jesus is truly God's gift to us. And folks, I don't know what you're expecting for Christmas, but when God sent Jesus, it was the greatest gift that we've ever received. And let me point out the direction of these messages, okay, because I want you to know kind of where we're headed, okay? Part one that we're beginning on this morning, the Savior who came from heaven to earth. Part two, Jesus, who will save his people from their sin. See in parenthesis the scripture. Remember that uh, as the angel speaks to Joseph in, in Matthew chapter 1, he says, you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And then later in verse 23, the angel says, he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this morning as we start these messages, think about the Savior who came from heaven and to earth. And folks, I've gotten my notes because I want to tell you this thought grabbed me this week. And, and I, I just want to stop for just a second and make sure that all of us are listening not to me but to the Spirit of God. And I want to ask you two questions. What have we given up for Jesus? And what have we left behind for Jesus? Because folks, if you and I fully understand the Christmas story we're going to see what Jesus left behind and what he gave up for you and me to come to this earth. And the first thing that you and I should consider about the Christmas story is, number one, that Jesus temporarily gave up heaven. And I want to make sure you understand that. Jesus temporarily gave up heaven. And folks, to leave heaven, think about what he left behind. He left behind his throne at the right hand of the Father. He left behind the myriad of angels that were worshiping him and all the people that have gone on before that knew that he truly was the Son of God and was going to come to earth. Folks, think about all the sinners like you and me and everyone else in the world that were worshiping the Lord Jesus. But folks, he left all of that behind. 
And listen again to the text that we've read, John 1.14. And let me read that to you again, okay? The Word became a human being and full of grace and truth lived among us. We saw His glory. And folks, when John says we, he knew what he was talking about. Remember, and I don't know if this is, this is what John had in mind, but you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration during Jesus' ministry when God transforms him momentarily and Peter and John and James are there and they see his transformed body, the glory that he had with the Father in heaven, John says, we have seen his glory, the glory which he received as a father's only son. But folks, what does it mean that Jesus became a human being, that the word became flesh? Well, folks, this is what it means. It means that God became a man, that Jesus took on human flesh, and he came to this earth to show lost mankind how much he loves us. And, folks, there are three questions that I want us to answer in the coming weeks. Number one, is Jesus God? And I hope everybody will quickly say, yes, he is. Well, folks, I want us to find the evidence within the Word of God. We know in our hearts if we trusted Jesus as our Savior, we know that he is God. But there's a world that's wanting us to tell them that Jesus is God. Where was Jesus before the Christmas story? Have you ever thought about that? Where was Jesus at? before he came and was born in the manger. Well, folks, all of us would say, heaven, but do we really? And I, I'm, I'm speaking to myself. This mess, these messages are helping me to understand what Jesus gave up. And why did Jesus come to earth? Well, folks, first of all, let's try and answer the question, is Jesus God? Let's go back to John chapter 1, verse 1. And this again, I hope you'll see that many of these scripture passages are coming from John. That's why I want to encourage you as you prepare for Christmas, as I prepare for Christmas, read the Gospel of John. Listen to the very first verse in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. Now, folks, I want to point something out. That seems strange, doesn't it? To call Jesus the Word. Warren Wiersbe says that John recorded seven names and titles of Jesus that identify him as God. And the title word is just one of those that identifies him as God. But listen to this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and underscore that last phrase, those last five words. The word was who? Was God. So if you skip down to verse 14, the Word became flesh. In essence, God became flesh. Who is Jesus? Is he God? Well, listen to some of the testimonies in, in John chapter 1. Listen to John the Baptist's testimonies. Listen to this, and it's going to be on the screen. John the Baptist says that Jesus is who? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's verse 29, verse 36. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. All of this is in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. Look at verse 41. Andrew says to his brother, Peter, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. 
And folks, these were just fishermen. These were not theologians. These were not preachers trying to prove some point or make a name for themselves. After Andrew met the Lord, he goes to his brother and says, Guess what? I've got good news. I've found the Messiah that's been promised. And he truly is the Christ. Listen to verse 49 in John chapter 1. Nathanael says to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel, and king of Israel was another term for the Messiah who would be given to the world. Folks, I don't have these scriptures on the, on the overhead, but throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus uses the expression, I am. Let me just give you examples. There are seven times that Jesus does this. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, John chapter 6. In John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. And also in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. What's the big deal about that? Well, you remember back in Exodus chapter 3 when God begins to reveal himself to Moses at the burning bush. And Moses says, what is your name? You remember what God says? I am who I am. And again, there's so many powerful sermons in these messages, not from me, but from the word of God. Jesus is identifying himself with the Father from way back in the Old Testament, way back in history. Folks, that baby born in the manger was God Almighty become flesh. That's the story of Christmas. Folks, listen to what Jesus says in John 10.30 about himself. I and the Father are one. If someone comes up to you and says, I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, pull this out. John 10.30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Look at John 20, verse 28, and you'll know the background of this story. You remember that after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples, and, and all of them were there except Thomas. And Thomas didn't believe it. And he says, I will not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, unless I see the nail prints in his hands, the spear mark in his side. Jesus came back seven days later, presented himself to the disciples. Thomas was there, and he says to Thomas, hey, guy, look at my hands, look at my side. And when he does, what does Thomas say? Look on the screen. My Lord and my God. Folks, again, that baby born in Bethlehem was God's own son become flesh. And he became a man to show us God and to show us God's love. One more verse. Let me read it to you. John 14, 9. And this is the words of Jesus. He who has seen me has seen who? The Father. Folks, in faith, we believe these things. Jesus proved who he is. Jesus declared who he is. He is the Son of God. Folks, why is that so important? Because, folks, only the Son of God could redeem you and I from sin. But, folks, there's something else. And I'm going to close at this point, but I want to give you this. It's something to consider as you leave today. Where was Jesus 
before the Christmas story. Let me get you to look at one more verse. John 1, verse 2. He was in the beginning with who? With God. Jesus was in heaven with the Father before the Christmas story. Folks, I'll close and, and just ask that you let God speak to you, and I'm asking him to speak to me about this. Look at what Jesus gave up for you and me. Were we worthy of it? I'm not, and I know that. But folks, here's something else I want you and I to ponder as we prepare for Christmas. What have we given up for Jesus? Are we giving anything up for him? I don't want this to sound harsh or critical because I have the same struggles that you do. I'm sure this morning, as I was talking to the children about countdown to Christmas and asking you to read the Gospel of John, a chapter every day, I'm sure probably some of us thought, well, I'm just too busy to do stuff like that. <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to be harsh or critical. I'm trying to speak to your heart and speak to mine too. And folks, this is something that has convicted me as I'm prepared for these messages. Look at what Jesus gave up for us and then look at what we are not giving up for him. Would we cut the TV off or the computer off or the radio off? Or would we simply say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give however long it takes to read this chapter of Scripture so I can learn more about what Jesus gave up for me. We have been so conditioned to want to be the recipients rather than the giver. And if we are going to follow Jesus Christ and be who he wants us to be, we'll be people who give up things for him. And I'm not trying to say don't watch TV, don't listen to the radio, don't go on the computer. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is if Jesus would give up heaven for us, what will we give up for him? Let's pray. Father, we cannot thank you enough. Lord, we, we feel like Paul. The gift that you've given us in your son is beyond our ability to describe and even thank you for. And, Lord, I pray that in this next month as we approach Christmas, and again, Lord, so much is going to be going on, so much is already going on in preparation for Christmas. But, Father, help us. Help us, Lord, that we'll get into the Word and we'll find out what Christmas is all about. And, Lord, that even this Christmas we'll make new commitments to serve you in a, in a greater and a fuller way. Lord Jesus, thank you that you left heaven, came to that stable to be born, but died on a cross for each one of us in this room and for everyone on this planet. Jesus, thank you. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is number 626. I love to tell the story. As we stand together and sing, folks, I know that God's Spirit speaks because He speaks to my heart as well as to yours.
If you need to respond publicly today, would you come, whether it's to simply kneel at the altar, whether it's to share something with me, whatever God desires that you do. Maybe it's to profess faith in him for the first time. Whatever he is leading you to do as we stand together and sing this hymn, would you come? Let us stand.